0: What is up asymmetry? Stone Monkey, Andrew Pearson, joined us on the podcast and we're entering a new era of Stone Monkey ceramics. Andrew Pearson's still doing what he does, but he's just doing it better and better and better. And we wanted to sit down and talk with him about his bonsai journey with ceramics, how he got started Uh, Where he's headed, his inspirations, and it just turned into such a lovely conversation. Long overdue, Andrew and I have passed each other, smiled at each other, waved at each other uh, on the international sort of roadway of bonsai for a very long time, and uh, it it, it was just incredible to get to sit down and talk with him. We'll be uh, distributing his work. Check out goods.bonesaimariai.com to see his wares, um, and uh, we look forward to the future with this gentleman because uh, he's doing wonderful things, and it's only getting better. Enjoy. Can you hear me?
1: And clear, sir.
0: All right, I can hear you too. Very cool. What's going on, man?
1: Um, it's a uh, been a long time coming.
0: <laughs> I guess it has, hasn't it? I guess it has. Yeah, it. Uh, we unboxed the work yesterday, and I just—it's uh, always so fun to see the the perpetual evolution. But um, man, you're making some good, really good ceramics. You are just making some great work right now. It—I mean—and it's not—it's always been the attention to detail, the quality. I think of the clay and, and uh, glazes have, has always been beautiful, but there's just like uh, uh, that extra level. Creeping into your work—that is really, yeah, it's it's, it's fa- fantastic to handle, uh, and I really am excited about it.
1: Thank, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, my family was sort of encouraging me to sit and watch the unboxing yesterday. Also, I, I sort of try and sort of um, steer away from it if I can, to be honest with you, because yeah. I'm always sort of on sort of tent hooks as how it would be received, and you know, I make I make what I make, and I love what I make, and you sort of hope that other people out there will sort of like what you make, you know, and it's received well. But no, yeah, it was it was wonderful to watch. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I don't have, I really have a very minimal if if any knowledge of your background and how this whole thing started. And so I'm, I'm curious of the journey in the narrative arc, how did you how did you get into ceramics and, and this whole tie process?
1: It, um, it all sort of started out um, with me being interested in, in, in bonsai, really. And um, I sort of, you know, played around with, you know, sticks in pots like everybody does to a certain degree. And um, at the time with my, my previous marriage, um, when I was sort of toying around with sort of, um, you know, sticks in pots, so on and so forth uh my then wife was sort of you know I need to do something to sort of occupy my time so I just sort of said to her well what do you like doing and she said she absolutely loves ceramics when she was at school I said well you know perhaps you'd, be, you'd look out for some sort of you know adult education type um pottery courses that you could go on and and go and do that and she did um and then one day I remember sort of quite vividly she come home with a bag of clay and I'm sort of me being a bit nosy and a bit curious, I thought, "Oh, this is pretty cool." And and the irony is, I absolutely hate I absolutely hated pottery and ceramics at school. Mm. I did not know with it. There was no affinity with it. I just love painting, drawing, um, and 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 sort of ceramics was so sort of you know it wasn't even in my in 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 my mindset at all. Um, but anyway, this this bag of clay came back to the house, and I'm sort of like, "Oh, this is pretty cool." Um, perhaps I should try and make a pot for one of my trees. Um, and the pot is, I'm in, I'm in my workshop at the moment. Uh, um, and the pot still sat behind me <laughs> which in 2001, 2002, perhaps. Um, and it's just there as a reminder. And it literally was, um, I just it went into the house, found a, a dish that you would make your traditional sort of like lasagna in and uh, it looks sort of like yeah, that looks like a bonsai pot shape. Lined it with newspaper and literally pushed the clay into all the corners. Um, sent it off with my then wife to the, the to, the, to the, the the course that she was on. They fired it. It came back. I was absolutely happy as Larry with this. I mean, looking back now, it's absolutely awful. But that was the first sort of step on the ladder to the to the, to where I am now. That's the the first sort of. Um, yeah, that's just, that was the first step of the journey, really. Wow. And uh, it's always there as a reminder. Um, and that's, that's literally how it started out, um, just out of um, wanting to make pots for my own trees. No idea what a pot should be like, no idea of proportions, drainage holes, tying in holes, absolute nothing. It was sort of almost that childlike, yeah, let's get stuck in there, play with some play, make a pot put a tree in it and the irony is that a tree never actually went into it but it was it's uh, something that I've hung on to for all those years and 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 then I just sort of sort of stuck with sort of the making side it was yeah I've always been a creative person anyway and I think because of the um yeah I, I, I enjoyed making the pot and and you know it's essentially you're playing with mud that you can get this stuff that's like you know, hundreds of thousands of years. They're all, all, all being manufactured, but it's been in the earth for hundreds of thousands of years, been refined and processed, and you can actually manipulate it into a shape that you want, subject it to fire, um, put effectively like a the glaze onto it, fire it, and then you're left with this permanent object, mm-hmm. which I sort of, for, for me, um, there's this sort of transition between you've got the, the permanent object, which is the pot, and the impermanent object which is the tree because it's forever changing so you've got yeah. this always got this sort of contrast between the permanence and the sort of non-permanence so that is sort of like yeah in a nutshell ryan
0: unbelievable Whew, that's a lot to download I, i've, I've phew, never heard anybody say that before the permanent and the impermanent that is really that is really interesting and uh and the journey from that first pot pressed into like a lasagna pan to where you're at now, if you had to i mean because there's obviously there's skills and there's knowledge and there's trial and there's error um you know what what has what has that progression of your uh practice look looked like or your process looked like, did you? grow exponentially in the very beginning and are the steps to improving incremental and more more uh, sparsely spaced at this point or are you still on an you know upward trajectory from the way that you look at your process and learning at a dramatic like how does that work with with ceramics or at least for you
1: i think from 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 the off there was a a sort of um, a huge increase because you sort of you look at what you're making at that particular time so yeah Said lasagna dish with clay pressed into it, and then you start subjecting yourself to you know bonsai shows and looking at what other people are doing. Um, and there's been huge sort of um, huge influence from the the the, the, the British bonsai um, pop making community, um, with a couple of people sort of being very influential to sort of what I liked at the time, to sort of like steering me down the path that I wanted to go. Um, I, it was perhaps a slow progression, but then you, um, because there was a love for it, and I wanted to do it, you just keep doing it, and the more you do, the better you get. The, and then you, I, I suppose it's sort of in the nature that you sort of start researching more, looking at other people's um, the way that they make pots, and this is not necessarily in the in the, the the sort of bonsai pot world. It's sort of just in the ceramic world because I had no absolutely no ceramic knowledge at all mm-hmm. when I first started out nothing in any way shape or form all that was I you know started on my bonsai journey um I wanted to make pots for my trees and that was it it's, then the research process sort of just started from there and I just I was like, it, I suppose it's like when you're a child you're like a sponge you want to soak up so much information and um my my now wife sort of takes the mickey a little bit you know she's sitting in bed next to me reading her novel or her book and I'm sitting there with a, a glaze book um <laughs> or some sort of pottery related or, or Kobayashi-san's um pop book yeah and just just literally um, you know just being influenced by shapes and colors and all these things and and I think sometimes you don't necessarily know that you're there's that sort of subliminal, um, influence. I think sometimes that you're, you're looking at all these things that you love. And that, and when I come to make in the workshop, um, I, I try not to think, I've got a sort of idea of the things that I want to make, but I sort of, I, unless it's a commission, I don't come in with any preconceived ideas. Mm. I just sort of want to come and, and whatever comes out, comes out sort of thing. So yeah. Um, in answer to your question it was very um, it was a very slow sort of progress but i've been making what for um, sort of 17 18 years now and i think since Gafu 10 my um, i don't know perhaps my sort of desire to want to be a, a better potter a better artist and more attention to detail so on and so forth, that has really sort of come to the fore within the past I mean, Gafu Ten was twenty fifteen. So that in the in the past six years, mm-hmm. it's been more consolidated and more more passionate, I suppose, for yeah, want of a better word. Interesting.
0: Andrew, and what what was it about the Gafu Ten that influenced you? What 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 was it about it that gave you that impression? Was it the smaller ceramics of the kind of Chuhin, Kifu, Shohin, size and the and the craftsmanship of that or what, what was because the gafu tin I very rarely hear somebody mention even knowing about the gafu tin or having attended it but it's a spectacular event
1: uh, do you know do you know what ryan it was um obviously my pots were invited there into the show back in 2015 and I wish I was able to go out there to, to you know to, to see it mm. unfortunately I couldn't at the time but I think having been accepted by perhaps the biggest and most respected ceramic community on the planet um, to have my work in this show for me that was just like mm. the ultimate ultimate and i suppose by just being accepted into the fold it's that sort of little bit of a tick to say yeah what you're doing is is okay gotcha. you, you know you 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 you've come to a certain level uh, and, and you're accepted by, you know, this absolutely wonderful ceramic loving community that that, that, that that we know in Japan. Um, and, and for me, that was sort of hang about, I suppose all artists, um, they don't need their ego stroked, but I think they need that little bit of support. They need that little bit of um uh, I don't know a bit of kudos to say what what you're doing is 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 cool. You know, some, va- some, val-
0: some validation, yeah, some validation that you're on the right path, yeah.
1: And I've always been not not a self doubter, but I've always, you know, my dad was a carpenter, and I so so wish that I'd taken the time out to sort of study what my dad did. Unfortunately, I never did, and I perhaps took his, you know, before his passing, I perhaps took his um. Work ethic and his love of what he did, and just put it into a different material. Um, yeah, it's,
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> Out- outstanding. So, so it wasn't, uh, it was just that, that, uh, that invitation and that validation saying, you're onto something. You're onto something that, 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 uh, largely, I mean, uh, when you think about ceramics and our, and our, in the past 200 years i mean there are some obviously some some antique uh, a significant degree of antique ceramics but the ceramic community in japan really did kind of usher in what we understand to be the mo- the the modern bonsai ceramic right in the in the spirit of bonsai and and it and it is it is validating to get that recognition
1: but oh yeah huge yeah a huge sort of tick in the box for me and um like you say it's the it's the validation that I suppose all artists sort of strive for, and when you know it doesn't matter whatever your medium is in, if you get if you get validation from your peers and those that you look up to, you know you're on the right track, and it gives you that sort of impetus to to, to push forward and and to strive for better things. Yeah,
0: yeah, it, it was interesting talking with Thor uh, about his time spent in uh, in Tokoname and in uh, his impressions and, you know, things that he took away from that. Uh, re- really interesting. And I know that you collaborate with Thor and Tom Bendis. What do you call that? Tris- Trisc-
1: um Yeah, we, we are called um, triskly which is an old Celtic um, polite, uh, the three forces. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love those guys. They are my brothers. I absolutely, you know, unfortunately, because of the current climate that we're in at the moment with COVID, you know, we've not, we, we was unable to meet last year. Um, I very much doubt we'd be able to meet this year. But if you can imagine three painters getting together, um, one painter starting a painting or all three painters starting a painting and then giving that painting to the other painter to continue, to add their embellishment and their signature when we've all finished what we're doing we've got something that is more unique than unique the way that i like to call it it's it's this collaboration of you know Thor with his uh, with his ancestry and his history and his you know the the, the vikings and the scandinavian and tom with his sublime Architectural lines and form and shape, and my stone monkeyism, I suppose, to a certain degree. And we, <laughs> the whole thing, we just—it's it, hi oh, it's sister. Just I it, I can't find a word to describe how or, or what we have uh, as as three brothers that love what we do. It is a, an absolute honour to, to 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 be with these two guys and and and. Do what we do. I, it's yeah, it's mental, but
0: and, it's and each of your approaches so very, so very unique, so very unique, and 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 you know, s- strong. I, I think the unifying characteristic of all three of you is just really solid level of uh, proficiency and craft and your own uh, aesthetic artistry. But when you that that's so fascinating uh, to sacrifice control of the ceramic body. Uh, and to see what happens and to be able to learn, learn from that, you know, it's, uh, it's such a response exercise, it seems.
1: Oh, oh totally. Um, but there is, well, I mean, when we gave each other pots to sort of play around with, it, it varies um, as well, because Tom may have gave me, given me a pot that had literally been a completely just a basic shape. Whereas Thor may have given me a pot that was virtually, literally complete in its entirety but then you take the brave step and you cut all the feet off uh-huh. and then you put my sort of cloud feet on the bottom and you change it and you alter it and it's yeah it's, it's a it's a mad thing to do but it's it, yeah it's just, it's absolutely mental and and, and so fulfilling and 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 wonderful. I I can't sort of. I know I'm a bit tongue-tied of sort of talking about it, but it's just an amazing thing, and a brave thing as well. I think for any artist to be able to sort of start a piece of art, Mm -hmm. no matter what form they do, and then pass it on to another artist. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the in the normal art world would be like, "No, I'm not doing that. This is mine. I want to complete it. I want to see it through to the end." But hey ho, us mad bonsai potters want to sort of start something and then give it to somebody else to sort of finish off.
0: It's badass. It's badass. And and uh right. when when you when you make the decision to say cut off the feed on a virtually finished pot and go your own direction, are are you guys working in the same space? Are you having conversation? Are you discussing that or are you isolated? How does that work?
1: It depends because we used to meet up every year at the at the, the, what was formerly the Nolander's trophy or now the trophy and we would meet up have a few beers and we would bring two pots each. We would swap those pots over. Mm-hmm. I would get one of Thor's and one of Tom's, and vice versa. And then we'd take them pots away and then just work on them. Um, when we are in, and, and that would be our what we could we we deem our sort of swap pots. So they're the ones that will get sort of heavily altered, changed. Somebody would start, another would finish, and fire, so on and so forth. But when we visit each other in each other's countries, um I, Tom and Thor were here, oh Christ, and 20, I forget where we are now, one day blurs into the next, 2019, they were here in the workshop and the studio, and then we would work on a body of work together. So it would be, I would perhaps throw um, five or six pots, whatever it may be, give Thor and Tom one, they would alter it, do whatever they wanted to it. I organised a, um, a good friend of mine does a lot of raku firing. Um, so I organised us to sort of make a body of pots. You know, pretty much as, uh, as soon as Tom and Thor turn, turned up, we sort of like started, they turned up on the Friday, started working on the Saturday and Sunday to make a body of work of a good, I'd say, anything between sort of 10 and 20 pots so that we could take them to the, the following week to go and get them fired, mm. And we did they were literally, as soon as we'd fired them, they were all up available and sold sort of pretty much straight away, sort of live as, as, you know, as we did the firing. So there is, it it varies to what we do and and how we do it, but it's, yeah, just sort of go with the flow in the moment, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Cool. Have you ever thought, have you ever thought, I mean, uh, I'm sure so many red flags to this, but have you ever thought about, in engaging in that project with a live audience present over a period of time, a close community, or making uh, making an attempt for that to be part of because you see bonsai demonstrations and you see these things happen, and maybe the maybe the making of the ceramic vessel is a little bit more intimate um, because it's not my medium. I, I don't really know, and obviously every person has their own process, anyways. But what a uh, what a really interesting way to potentially bring the ceramic body to the forefront of the making process at a major event um and, mm-hmm. and for people to understand and maybe even for you guys to experience that influence of uh, of a potential feedback loop or a public engagement or or just even being in the present of that pressure and seeing what happens to the ceramic body that you or the vessel you might create together
1: yeah I think we've always sort of toyed with the idea of perhaps doing a sort of uh, and and I'm always in constant communication with with Thor and Tom to sort of you know where we're we gonna go and what we're we gonna do and uh, um and it has been sort of the idea has been thrown around to sort of perhaps do this you know if at the moment we're sort of talking about all three of us having a stand at the trophy next year so all three of us in're in one place together mm-hmm. and perhaps doing some sort of live demos and some yeah. That sort of thing, and I and I think it really sort of kicked off in in the trophy show a couple of years ago, I think it was, where um, uh, they got like the, the, a lot of tokonami potters, one well, not a lot, about four or five tokonami potters over, and that were doing live demos, and it was so so well received, and I just went, met one of my heroes, Rihusan, where I was just you know in awe, you know this this guy that I sort of look up to, this just makes absolutely sublime pots mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, uh, to see to see him doing what he does, how he does it. For me, as a potter, to sit and s- to, to watch one of your heroes making a pot, mm-hmm. I'm literally watching every single movement: how he's putting the feet on, how he's doing this, how he's joining slabs of clay together. It's uh, yeah, it, it, for me that would it'd be amazing. So perhaps, yeah, it could be a way forward, and would be pretty cool that um, we could sort of do perhaps a you know a joint live demo and. Or perhaps, you know, me me start throwing a pot and then give it over to Thor and Thor does what he does, then give it to Tom and yeah, it's... uh,
0: Or even bringing, I mean, I think that the, the notion of alteration, the decision that goes into choosing to, in this understanding of this, the collaboration, the decisions that go into choosing to alter, you know, the thought process from one ceramicist to another of a piece that has already had a lot of intention put into it and then the interpretation like that. That's just because you guys are functioning on such a high level, you know, and that that kind of freedom of spirit of collaboration and uh, release of control to more profit from What other you know what somebody else takes in a different direction or how they interpret your work? I mean that that kind of feedback as an artist, I would think is it would just be priceless. And and what you guys have done, you've been doing it for quite a while now, so you're good at it. It's not like a first attempt where it would be a kitschy sort of like you guys want to do a demo. It's like you you know you've done it enough that it's that there's a a foundation there that can that I think you know this could be another uh, another branch. That's exciting. You're considering it.
1: Uh, yeah, I think we're very comfortable in in, in where we are now in, in what we do together. Um I think perhaps at the start it might have been a little bit tricky because you're quite precious to make and then sort of if you're giving that up to somebody else, but there was an old um, sort of saying to me, if you're too precious about what you're making, you're not making enough. Mm. So make lots of and then if you're making ten pots, you can give one pot to another person to play around with. And yeah. you've still got nine. Doesn't matter. You yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. You're not. You're not going to do. But if you're only making two pots and you're giving fifty percent away, you're giving one away, and you're like, "What have I done?" You know. It's. Yeah. Uh, but no, try and be prolific, but don't, don't be a production line. I think I, I try and you know, um, there's, there's so many people. Oh, you know, I could make that for this, or I could do that for this, and I could make it, so on and so forth. It's. You know, be be passionate about what you do. Make what you make and make it from the heart, I think. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, and that was the biggest thing about handling this body of work this time is each pot had its own nuances. Each pot, every single pot had its own nuances. And, And I could really see that each single pot like, it was just, like, you've always made a high level of detail. Um, and there would be different size variations on on a single sort of motif. But I, I think with this shipment, each pot stood, stood on its own as a unique standalone piece, a one-off, intentional uh, piece of work. And that was really fun to experience. It was really fun to experience. And the way that some of your glazes, I love the print that you put along the bottom band of... um. Of the, a few of the ovals with your kind of green glaze. I thought, I thought the way that, you know, whether, and, and, and I don't know how your glazes work, but that glaze, particularly with that oxide feel on the bottom, that patina and that print and glaze, it was just like, man. When you hit it, you hit it. And there was some real, the baby blue glaze uh, pieces, I just, uh, the rose, the rose colored glaze that you got on that shallow Cusimono piece, uh, the, the, the Phillips head and the minus uh, screwdriver on the two like minded Cusimono pieces, just so intelligent. And, you know, you can't separate those pieces now. That's a real, that's a real moment uh and it was just like discovery after discovery of these of these pieces that really felt like they were part of the next step of your of your work i was it was it was fun it was really fun
1: the baby blue and the rose are completely new glazes um mm. I, I i tested them within the space of um i don't know perhaps five or six weeks ago and they come out so well i could not make the pots quick enough to get the glaze on it because mm. i was so 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 pleased and when you can sort of hit that 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 glaze that's that that is matte, but then also you find out it's got that that crackle in it that you can that you can highlight. Well, I mean it's it forcefully highlighted, obviously with with ink, but over time will will create that natural patina. Yeah, um, oh, that's such a brilliant feeling to yeah. just apps, you know. And of all the, gla- I know every time I fire my kiln, there's always at least four or five glaze tests in it every single time, mm. and literally. The four or five that will go in there, one might come out okay, and the rest are literally just thrown in the bin. Then you know, and you try different variations and, and nuances. But no, I was very pleased with the uh, the sort of baby blue and 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 the sort of that, that rosy color. But the green, that sort of turquoisey green glaze that you, that you said, that is for me, it is an absolute staple glaze for me. It's very yep. fickle, um, and it depends where I put it on in the kiln. Mm. Uh, the results that I get um mm-hmm. the kiln I've got like a top loading uh, a kiln and in the top it's a lot hotter um yet if I put it down on the bottom it gets a lot matter and it, 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 I've got sort of a test tile for literally every shelf in the kiln of that particular glaze so that I can for, for my own benefit is to remember okay I need to recreate recreate this look what shelf do I put it on in the kiln yeah you know?
0: yeah yeah and your pairing, your pairing of your glazes with the shapes and the the wall profiles and the details of your pots felt felt so um, functionally executed. Is like you know there there is always a risk when you put. Um, you know a rectangular form with like a, a a really delicate foot or um you know a, a very angular wall and sort of a dainty pot that's that's super dark in color and it is like your your color values and your glaze choices for the other design decisions like that that is such a testament to high level ceramics uh, especially in the bonsai realm and and that and i feel like you must be sort of witnessing those combinations being I mean, I didn't see any ceramic that I would be like, man, what could I use that for? It was they They were all uh, so functional in their beauty. Um, it, it, even the wonky
1: the ones. Wonky, the wonky, the wonky uh, I think ones. the wonky
0: ones are the uh, I, I just think that there are so many whimsical trees that exist in the world today, that um, when you cram them into formality, they it's it's like a caging a wild animal to a, to a degree, you know, and it doesn't have to be such a vicious wild animal. It, you know, you cage a monkey and you, you're kind of losing something in the world. So whatever the you know, whatever that that combination is, I thought the wonky it re- it reminds me of. Um, God, I'm trying to think uh, like a uh, like a drunken master kind of a vibe, you know, this this old school martial arts thing.
1: Yeah, I've sort of given that that sort of moniker as a as, as a drunk drum pop, you know. Uh-huh. It's it. It's, but the irony was, um, I come from an engineering background, so for me, everything is straight lines. It's engineered. It's to the nth degree, and you know, no, I can't stand warpage. But I, the the rose coloured, the rose coloured um, sort of show in uh, rectangle, soft cornered rectangle, and the green one that came over to you. Uh, they were a result of a complete and utter accident. I threw, or um, I always throw in the round and then alter it, and then attach it to a slab base. Um, and I threw three um, sort of soft corner show sort of rectangles just to just sort of add to stock. That was the sort of. But well, I literally picked up the, the wear board with the three pots on them, and they all slid off and hit the floor. Oh, the whole lot. <laughs> just like. Normally it'd be like I'd either throw it, you know, in in the in the recycled bin and just not bother. But the way that they come out, I just sort of looked at them and thought, well, hang about, I could perhaps, you know, perhaps do something with them because I've always um wanted to throw or wanted to make something that wasn't straight. And I think it to, to try and make something that isn't engineered and straight, I think it's really, really hard thing mm-hmm. to do. Uh, um to to make the perfect Nanban, to make that sort of pot that a literati or uh, you know a, a bungee tree would be in is an extremely hard thing. So it's sort of like okay, I'm going to throw it or I'm going to make it, and then I'm just going to drop it, which I did with the, with the unglazed ones. Literally, I had a sort of a, a former that, that I could drop the pot onto, and literally it was just dropped. Might have been sort of articulated a little bit, and it sort of led me down this path of right. Like, okay, we're going to do these sort of dropped drunken drum tight and and just and, and you're sort of again it's like um what Thor, tom and i do is giving control to something else huh. so you've made the engineered part and you're just like okay i'm gonna drop it and let it do what it wants to do let it, and, and that's it it's just and i'm sort of i'm really liking it i'm really <laughs> oh, dropping my pot
0: <laughs> it's fantastic i oh man i love throwing that I love throwing that uh, that element of design sort of to the universe. That's pretty oh, wild. To-
1: yeah, totally. You're just literally, you're making something and then giving it to the world to do whatever it wants to do and just going, yeah, okay, off your <laughs> truck. That's
0: great. That's great. That's so cool. I, I, I had no idea how much control you had over it because the unpredictability of the 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 warpage what and it was different on every single one and i was like did he hit the rim was he hitting the rim no. with a stick or something uh and then you know is this being bent intentionally in these way because each one was so different it was like God, there's some randomness here
1: oh yeah there is there's, there's a bit, excuse me there's a little bit of sort of you know knocking a little bit here and perhaps pushing it where you want it to be but by and large, 95% of it is literally just <laughs> gritting your teeth, holding it above <laughs> something, and it lets it go. That's the hard part. When it does land, it might be a bit heavy on this side, a bit heavy on that side, but hey, just, you know, it's the way of the universe, just go with it. Eh? <laughs> That's
0: great. That's great. That's so
1: cool. I always
0: thought, I, I've always wanted to engage in this project, and I've never really had the guts to do it, where you assign uh actions or potentially you know concepts to a deck of cards and you take a really impressive tree and and you and you just draw the card draw the card and perform the action you know and take away the objective decision making because in in a lot of ways when you talk about a a tree's experience in the native environment it's 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 a response to random acts of nature and the tree doesn't choose to grow that way. What makes young and what makes some of these trees so spectacular is the fact that this randomness occurred, and and they and you're witnessing their continued adaptation to these unforeseen events, right? And 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 you get pure growth habit, and you get, uh, you know, ultimate characteristic response. Because if you take conifers, they would all be triangles, you know, as young trees until they get ancient, until they experience these random acts, they're all going to be triangular trees, and and, and so that that always appealed to me. I don't have the guts to do it necessarily yet, or I haven't found the right material where it feels like, right, I want to be respectful. But um, the fact that you're applying that randomness to your ceramic body of work is, is is really inspiring. Like that's really, really inspiring. And it's super cool to handle.
1: Applying the randomness to the to the impermanent object.
0: Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, 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 it's fantastic.
1: Yeah. But nature, by default, doesn't it? Nature does that by default to the tree. If you, if you did not, you know, if man did not intervene with the way that they wanted the tree to go or, or the bonsai to go, then nature would dictate the yeah. way that it wanted it to go. It's it, it's randomness by nature. It's it, it, you know, it happens all the time around us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating to me because you brought up sort of the permanent and the impermanent relationship that exists here. And <laughs> one thing that's always been sort of a shocking revelation cultivating bone size you get these really old yamadori trees and and take advantage of this highly asymmetrical or radical design but as you cultivate a bonsai tree you give it the resources it wants it 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 moves back towards that youthful form right like that's a that's a constant dedication to the impermanence uh, and that impermanent part of things but it seems to me to be a ceramicist you have to understand that. And again, this is coming back to your glazes, matching your, your your forms and details. You have to be a tremendous student of bonsai as well, I I would imagine. Do you still practice? Do you have a collection? Is ceramics taken over all of that? What does that look like for you?
1: Ceramics has completely taken over. Mm-hmm. I'm, I started I trees back in oh, twi- ba- ba- about... 2012 um i had a good collection of i always sort of limited myself to have a a, um you know no more than 20 trees um in 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 random states of you know from from a shovel tree to to raw material that i've been working on so you've always got that constant sort of there's always something to do you know you know whether you're repotting or you know maintaining the, the tree in its top condition or or working on the raw material But as I got a full-time job, um, it was very hard to sort of maintain my sort of spare time on family time, working on trees, working on pots. So I sort of made a conscientious decision back then to say, right, okay, the good trees that I had, they went on to their their new sort of owners, um, and they're still thriving to this day, which is absolutely wonderful to see. Um, and I just concentrated on the ceramics knowing that I could go to all these wonderful shows you know all around the world seeing uh, bonsai in its absolute at, at, at its absolute best knowing that I'm sort of perhaps contributing a small part making you know you know, a pair of new shoes for this tree, so on and so forth um, so yeah, no, yeah you know, bonsai personally for me it still plays a huge part because it influences what I'm currently making and what I do you know, I'm always constantly looking at uh, 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 what other bonsai artists are doing, yourself especially, Peter Warren, so on and so forth. Um, And just by looking at what you guys are doing influences, sort of subliminally influences me, what I'm doing from a from a ceramic point of view. But yeah, I, I've i only got one tree, which I sort of, um I've sort of kept purely for sort of personal reasons, because I bought it for my dad for his 60th birthday and my dad's sort of, has been seventeen years gone now, so I've still got this um this maple in my garden. And funny enough, it finally actually went into one of my pots this year. Mm. Um And it's that's the only tree that I've got, and it's it's, it's purely for personal reasons and and, and sort of now nothing else. But yeah, concentrating on on the pots is is sort of one hundred and ten percent for me at yep. the moment, and that's the way I'm sort of going.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, and 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 are you are you now? A ceramicist 100% of the time, or do you still have another job?
1: Uh, yeah, I am unf- I say unfortunately, but yes, unfortunately, I do have a full time job. Sure. Um, which, I've, which I've done for the past 23 years now, the same job, um, which I love. I love my job. And the funny thing is, because it's I work for um, the good old London Underground in London. Um, I get to go to all these weird and wonderful places that no member of the public ever gets to go to. Nice. And the, nice. Only, and the thing is it still influences me from a pop point of view. You know, I, I last week I went down to a, a disused station um, that no one's been to for God knows how many years. And you've got to walk around with a torch, but you're seeing old equipment and engineering and stuff that's not been, you know, that no one's seen for a long, long time, but you absorb all this information and and it, it sort of yeah the screw heads and this and so on and so forth and it, it influences you sort of subliminally to, yeah. to when, when you're making lots, which is an absolutely wonderful thing. But yeah, unfortunately, I do have a full-time job.
0: Yeah, how cool to be able to see the layers of history in London in the underground. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, I love it. I, I I've worked in London since I left the army back in 1991, and. Uh, it's always been this love-hate relationship with London um I hate traveling to it but when I get there I absolutely love it and it's got such an absolutely wonderful you know colorful history you know I, I think that's a good thing, Rich we've got a you know we do ride on our coattails and having a pretty bloody good history uh bloody being the word usually <laughs> when it comes to our history um but yeah no I love it absolutely adore it it's uh and To sort of go on to this, this network that's been around for sort of like 155 years now, um, and there's things that have not been touched for a decade,
0: you know. And
1: you get to look, it's 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 I went to um, I went to a station perhaps four or five weeks ago, and they had uh, a, an, an advert for Jameson's whiskey on the wall, and it must have been there for sort of like 1950 odd, <laughs> and it's just literally just you know encapsulated in time it's never been removed no, no one's ever done anything uh, to it sort of going you know, hang about you know time travel is possible it's it's such a wonderful feeling
0: unbelievable that's like some dystopian future kind of like revisiting you know oh man radical that's radical
1: mad. it is mad um and, and the other wonderful part of my job is um, because I work in sort of fire engineering, I get the great privilege of working with the film department um, who do a lot of um, filming on the underground, including Skyfall, which I was there for a couple of days. So it, yeah, for, uh, being a film addict it, for me, it's just, yeah. A
0: film addict? If I could give
1: up. If I could give up. Plus, we do that, then
0: I would put... <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, that's so good. Oh, my gosh. That's so crazy. And uh, is do you think that in the future, there will potentially be... Do you think that London or, um, you know, there could be a use for those old stations? Because it seems like a shame. I mean, you have a time capsule down there, and that preservation and sort of uh, untouched aspect of it is crazy, but... But isn't that a, a a a built space that could have a retrofitted function in, in regards to the city, or uh, or no?
1: You know what? If I could get Peter Warren to do Natural Flux Two mm. down at Aldwych Station in London and put bonsai on display in an underground station,
0: I, yeah, I I, I, I can't I, just, I can't believe you just I can't believe you just put that out in the world. God, I hope that happens. <laughs> I hope that happens so bad.
1: It would just be, That would just be so mad. Ah. And, and these are the things, you know, you know, when I'm walking around doing my, my sort of everyday job, you know, what, what it's just a, these amazing spaces to, 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 to put works of art in and, and appreciate.
0: Unreal, unreal. You know, be- e- even without, even without uh, a, a human being or people being down there to put trees in the space and capture that moment. Of yeah. this this forgotten relic and this ongoing organism, you know, like that that is a really interesting dialogue. I have you presented that to Peter by chance?
1: Uh, no, and if he is listening, he's most probably just heard it now for the first time. <laughs> Good, <laughs> yes,
0: it's it, it's in there. I that would just be in incredible. I mean, there is a. As I evolved in in bonsai in, in North America, you know, through college, like uh, bonsai Europe became bonsai focus as a magazine, but but it was a lot of British artists that I found to be quite inspiring. I, I'll never forget Terry Foster. There was an article about him styling like uh, a twin trunk Scots pine back in 2000, 2002, two two thousand three, and uh, and like I was already in the mountains collecting. Yamadori uh, back in high school and and in college when I could and when I could get, you know, like permission because California was it was challenging to to find permission. But but I saw that and I never knew what to do with that Yamadori. And then I saw Terry Foster design that Scott's Pine. And for whatever reason, at that moment in time, it clicked like I I wanted to go to Japan to study Mr. Kumara's techniques and learn how to work with this material. But like it just clicked that uh, the, the, the process or, or what that could look like. And there's a significant lineage of British ceramicists as well. I mean, when you talk about Dan Barton or you talk about Gordon Duffett or you talk about Walsall or you talk about Brian Albright, like is that, a, I would think that's a pr- pretty grand group to get to be a part of. That's a, there's a long history of quality there.
1: Oh, there is. For me, um, when I first sort of started in, in in my sort of foray into bonsai ceramics, for me, Dan and Gordon were the, were, were two sides of the coin mm-hmm. for me, with Gordon being very, you know, sort of semi-classical shape, classical glazes, and Dan being the complete flip side of just being Dan. Uh, mm-hmm. And for me, uh, you sort of like, I think when you sort of try and, in, in, in any art form, whatever you do, you try and emulate your peers you know it's there as you know and there's always this sort of like copying and so on and so forth but I think as an artist you need some sort of you need somewhere to start you need a benchmark I think to start off with and you look at people you look at things that you like and things you don't like I want to go down this path but I think when you're on your path to wherever you're going to that's when you find your own voice. You know, and, and, and on that journey, you, you you get to where you're going to. And I don't try and just subject myself to bonsai ceramics. Mm-hmm. I have got the absolute wonderful privilege of being married to a, 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 a wonderful lady who's been a sculptor in, for over 25 years. We go to ceramic shows, obviously, not in the COVID situation, um, although we've got one coming up in in, in June we go to ceramic shows on a regular basis and it's completely non-bonsai related. It's just ceramics. Cool. And for me to walk around all these stands to look up, you know, essentially what everybody's making from this bag of mud in whatever form it comes, and they're making all of these objects with different textures and feet and glazes. For me, it's just an absolute... I don't know, smorgasbord of information coming into my head of thinking, I love that glaze. That foot's really cool. How would that work in the bonsai world? I want to do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's oh, it's like information overload and I come back from these shows and my wife goes back in, we, we've got sort of like a an L-shaped studio. I'm in my side, Kiln Room's in the middle and, and Marie's on her side. Wow. But I will come into my side of the studio and i just... I can't wait to start making again because I've got so much information from these these shows that we've been to um, and seeing what other people do in in the normal surroundings world. Right. And thinking how how can I sort of would that work? You know, you know, can I can I sort of change it slightly or do something a little bit different? But yeah, it's a bit mad, really.
0: Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, that I that, that's and that's um. One of the curiosities I've had, and one of the confusing things about ceramics for for somebody that doesn't have a knowledge of really the ceramic world outside of bone size ceramics, like I'm quite ignorant to fine art ceramics. Where do you where do you draw the line with with this bag of mud and how it's used? Where do you draw the line between it being like a utilitarian craft, right? Because ceramics have uh, housed or held the liquid and food of the world for a very, very long time in, in in an organized dining setting. Like, And where does it cross over that threshold into art or whatever that is?
1: I don't think there is a line. Mm. For me, like, you, can, you can find beauty in, you know, every day, subconsciously, we go and get our cup, our favorite cup to put our cup of tea or our cup of coffee in. Whether that's because it, it, it holds a good cup of tea or whether from an aesthetic point of view, we like how it looks, we like how it feels. I don't think there is a line. I think you, you it, there is always um, um, a line of beauty, a line of art in everything that's utilitarian. However, I would most probably join, draw the line from a handmade point of view, mm-hmm. when, it, when it becomes mass produced and factory produced, I would most probably say no, it doesn't have any soul, it doesn't have any, it, it's, it's completely and utterly utilitarian. There is no other concept added to it. But when you, you go to a potter that makes a handmade mug, a handmade plate, a, a bonsai pot, um, a, um, a, a finial for the end of the, 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 of the tiles on your house, that's been handmade with passion and with love. It's a utilitarian piece, but it's also an artistic piece. There is no line, I don't think, when it's handmade and not mass-produced. I think there is no there is no line between utilitarian and and um, it's and, and there is this old sort of you know you look you look at um, sort of British studio ceramics, English studio ceramics. Um, Bernard Leach in sort of like the nineteen twenties um, was a I think he was a printer, or, or, or um, did lithographs and printing. Went out to Japan to learn how to do um, like their form of, of printing, so on and so forth. And was subjected by uh, uh, Hamada Sand's um, raku firing one night out. You know, went out to a raku firing with uh, Shoji Hamada, and it sort of he got the bug for pottery. And then he bought that ethos of Japanese pottery back to the UK. Even though what he was making was utilitarian, it was still bloody beautiful. A lot of brown glazes then, which most probably won't sort of you know ring true now in in this sort of day and age. Um, right. But yeah, it, it was that ethos of, of of making something that is totally utilitarian, but you bloody love it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. That's uh, it's it, it it's a it's a fascinating thing that it uh, ceramics are so functional, you know, because then when you start looking at the ceramic body being treated without function, that that seems to me to be the tricky transition point. Like, n- now we're going to use this, and it has no function, but yet there's so many other elements that influence the ceramic body, and, and specifically the way that it's handled with the fire, with the flame, and, and with that, that process of turning it into, essentially, stoneware. Um, yeah. And how do you go about that selection process? Do you play with firing methodologies? Uh, what does that look like for you? Is that an aspect you would expand on? Are you happy with what you have?
1: Um, I'm never happy with what I have, Ryan, <laughs> to be honest with you. But <laughs> sort of conform with what I can do in the in the place that I live. Mm. Um, 11, 12 years ago, I had a plot of land with a gas kiln on it. And everything used to be reduction fired. I love, it's very temperamental, um, love, very big love-hate relationship with, with gas fire in because you would lose a proportionate amount of your, your work in the oh, fire in. No kidding. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd lose at least sort of three or 4%, you know, of the pots that I'd put in there. Um, and then where, where, where we live now, um, I live in a sort of essentially what you would call a town or a city um, I can't gas fire, I can't wood fire, mm-hmm. so I have to use the electric kiln. Um, which is very, um, I just literally have to push a button and walk away. It's, I don't have to look after it, I don't have to tend it, I don't have to turn it up. All I need to know is what shelf to put it on, the temperature to fire it to. I press the kiln sitter and walk away, which is it's 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 very good for um getting a c- consistency, mm-hmm. but for me. Um, I think in you know I, I try not to make consistent pots, so that when the glaze that I do put on them, there is there is sort of that still that juxtaposition of, of non-consistent work with consistent glazes. Um, however, for me, the holy grail of firing is wood firing. Mm-hmm. It, if I could, pardon the pun, I would um, really would. For me, it, it's it's unpredictable. It's different every time essentially you don't really put a glaze on the pot because the glaze is formed by the the ash that's flying around in the in the kiln um, yeah one day
0: <laughs> yeah well and I'm assuming the electric firing process also empowers you to focus on making your work because that firing process is not such a time consumptive or limiting thing with just life life being what it is. I would imagine that's the, that that, and if you're able to, uh, even in the diversity of the green glaze that you were talking about, you know, from the top of the kiln to the bottom of the kiln, like yeah. that variability, there are things in there that you can't duplicate even inside an electric firing. So magic still happens.
1: Oh yeah, no, it does, it does. Even though I'm sort of saying, yes, it's very consistent, so on and so forth. But if I put um, a glaze in there that's very heavy, like a lot of copper in there, that copper will fly around in the kiln, and affect the other glazes in the kiln. Dep- so there are happy accidents still. It's never, it's not black and white. Yeah. No matter how you know what I mean. But there is more consistency in a uh, electric kiln firing than there is in gas. And then, yeah, the holy grail of the firing is, is in, in, you know, uh, uh an anagama kiln, wood fired anagama kiln, which, yeah, I would give my eye teeth to put my work in one at some point. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it would be, the magic uh, and, and uh, you know tom fires in a wood kiln
0: yeah um, yeah but, it, uh, but 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 again <laughs> it seems to me you know like uh the kiln the, the meltdown of the kiln the pressure that a kiln is under and the unpredictability of that wood fire man it's like uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of work that is consumed by the kiln it it has to you have to pay the piper on uh you know sacrifice to the kiln gods a little bit there yeah.
1: I think there is a price to pay when you when you are wood firing whether that's mentally or <laughs> or, or uh, physically or emotionally it's yeah there is you you are putting your blood sweat and tears into a into a wood firing and and I've always been a sort of the Japanese wood fire over a longer period of time at um, a lower temperature as um in as Nao said in your in your previous podcast that um rather than sort of firing up 150 degrees. uh, This is 150 degrees centigrade per hour to get to your top temperature around about cone seven or cone eight. Um, They will fire for sort of like um, there's there's a a, a Japanese um, potter that I absolutely adore, Ken Matsuzaki. Um, He's got a huge, massive, great anagama kiln, and he will have like six months of work, possibly more, in this kiln, but he will fire. I don't know, just over about, around about eleven hundred degrees centigrade, but he will fire that kiln for seven days. Wow! And you are pushing, you are pushing cone twelve, cone thirteen. Even though you're, it's all about the the wear being subjected to the amount of heat over the period of time. Yeah. That that, that causes the effect. So you can still reach, even though you're physically not reaching the, the 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 temperature on the on the on the, um, the pyrometer. You can see the cones going over because you've subjected this this, this ware to a firing over five, six, seven days, and it's it will it will get to that temperature.
0: Wow, you know, wow, yeah. I really, um, obviously, well, my first experience with that was was uh, Ron Lang. You know, Ron Lang had in his original studio in Pennsylvania had a wood fired that I yeah. just think even to this day when you see some of the Ron Lang, I mean his his un uh, unglazed. Clay body would literally looks like corten steel when it came out of that. It, it just had these crazy patterns and colors and and wonderful nuances to it. Uh, and then Jan Rentinar fired in um, in an Onagama kiln in Elkton, uh, Oregon. That was that was uh, one of one of the one of the early wood fired Onagama kilns in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Hiroshi Ogawa was the name of the gentleman. Fantas- always had fantastic effect. A lot of drips, a lot of purples and green, like clear, crystallized purple and green drips hanging off of her ceramics that you could see through, and they were transparent, but just rich and crackled. Yeah. And you know, you I don't. It's 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 magic. It's like you're watching the world melt around a pot.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I've been a huge fan of Ron's pots for since I started. Yeah. I, you know, I follow. Does and and, and uh, you know yeah absolutely adore his work and yeah to, to to have the privilege of firing in a wood kiln wow to me that's I think that's the pinnacle I, th- I think if I can get there and you know hopefully give up work in the next couple of years get to the grand old age of fifty five call it a day <laughs> concentrate on diamond and, and yeah God, go for it
0: the the toolkit that you're gonna have built up. When you get there, is going to be insane. It's going to be insane because I because I see you just ramping up. I just see the quality and and the level ramping up. But I mean, that was what was so special about this box. Is just like we're still we're we're going. We're still going. We're moving forward. Uh, and and that's that's just really exciting. It's exciting to see. I I uh, am so thrilled uh, to be working together and just to be witnessing your journey. And and um, you know, I get the benefit of getting to see and and pick and choose trees that go into these things and experience what that vessel does for that tree and that that is really satisfying to to have those independent interpretations uh to be able to alter the appearance and presentation of my trees it's 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 really a special thing
1: it's a a huge honor for you to um like what i do want what i do and use what i do um I couldn't ask for anything else. And I think at the end of anybody that makes um, a utilitarian vessel, a bonsai pot, and it's put to use and it's loved and enjoyed, I think you've done your job.
0: Yeah. 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 And I got to give a lot of credit to Peter Warren uh, because he, he, you know, he was whispering in my ear. He's like, Hey, listen, man, Andrew Pearson, like this stone monkey is legit. This guy's got talent. He's got detail. He's got a great clay body. He's like hungry. And this, this was all the way back in, in 2011. The first time I came to the trophy and, uh, and and he was saying, this guy's making stuff. You're going to start seeing more of his work, you know. And that was before you were a, a, a known and established name. And and so the evolution has been pronounced. But um, but Peter had such a vast knowledge of the ceramic body compared to uh, what I knew of, because you know, Mister Kamura used ceramics for show, but Kobayashi ceramics were a big part of just his sort of presence as a bone tie professional, the ceramic came along with, you know, and I think he utilized the ceramic body in a different way for his trees. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, shout out to Peter Warren, cause he's really, I think he helped uh, improve my sophistication around this the ceramic appreciation.
1: Peter tells me to stop saying thank you to him mm. because he helps me, supported me, encouraged me. Um, for a huge part of my journey and yeah thank you Peter yeah I will say thank you um I yeah I because of Peter and, and Akiyama-san that I got into Gaffer's and um I yeah I can't sing Peter's praise enough um in the UK I call him the quiet man of bonsai because he's there is no ego with Peter he Peter is Peter and he, what he does is just yeah mm-hmm. I'm not going to blow smoke up his ass if he laughs his head off.
0: <laughs> yeah, he he <laughs> is the quiet man on Boneside. Just quiet, just this quiet assault on uh on a real uh, on a really wonderful aesthetic exploration. Um, totally.
1: I like I like his sort of you know there, that there's that naturalistic style to what he does. Um, yeah, yeah, for me it's
0: Well, and I thought I I mean I think his first exhibition in Flux was like uh. I felt like he he started something there. I don't know if he'll take that forward, but you you definitely put that into the universe that that there's like like a, a real possibility of something spectacular. And and I think the world, the bonsai world, that is one thing that is very significantly lacking is independent bonsai artists doing exhibitions where they challenge the common thought or use the medium in ways to create uh, discussion and, uh, and, and, and there, there's gotta be more of it. And Peter really was the, f- was the first person that I had experienced who did that, you know, he jumped out, he, he, he jumped off the ledge and, and it was awesome, you know, and, and those are big leaps that you take in those, uh, in those sort of outlying experiences. Uh, but, but he started something there and I, I hope he does continue it because, um, because it, it, it inspires a whole, a whole new realm of people and the outreach and exposure that you can get from that, and the inspiration that other people within the community can gain from that is, is priceless.
1: I think it's a huge, it's a very, very, very brave thing to do, and a huge leap of faith to be able to push sort of bonsai display into you know it, not into its normal context and, and and push it out of the box and and put it out there for for you know the general population. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as, as, as yourself has done, um, you know, it's, has uh, got to, got to yeah. try, got to try. So it's the same with, like you said about, you know, the pot unboxing, you know, I put the studs around the bottom of the pot when you can put them on the rim of the pot, mm-hmm. why not try something a little bit different? Yeah. All right. There might be people that poop on it and don't like it. And, but it's all about progressing and changing and trying different things. And, and, and that's the only way that you progress. Is 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 pushing the boundaries, you know, um, yeah. I I should try and keep doing it if I think if I
0: can. I think you're so set up for it. Um, just having that that community in Tom and Thor and and really exploring. I mean, you're quietly, quietly, you're you're really pushing the boundaries, and 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 uh, and, and Tom is pushing the boundaries and Thor. His iteration on and, and take on the the ceramic vessel is is utterly and, and independently unique and unto itself as well. And so, I, I'm just I'm excited. Anyways, um, and yeah, I got to get going because I got to water bonsai trees and and move on with uh, my day Friday here. Uh, what time is it there?
1: Oh, we are um, it's five past seven in the evening. Uh, my daughter is cooking sp- spaghetti bolognese for tea. Oh, bro brilliant yeah.
0: that sounds fantastic it was
1: it's been fantastic it's thank you so much for inviting me thank you for supporting me and thank you for yeah for, for buying my work i ah, appreciate it
0: future looks bright man future looks bright i look forward to more uh we'll have a, a further conversations and uh you know we'll stay in touch keep up the great work
1: and do you realize this is the first time in four years we've actually spoken face to face we've missed each other <laughs> At No Landers, at so on and so
0: forth. Yeah, yeah, it was long overdue. It was long overdue. Right. I appreciated that you led with that in the beginning because it was about time. Cheers, buddy. All right, take care.
1: And you, mate. Look Bye. out to yourself. Yeah, appreciate Thank you, man. it. man